Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pilgrim Devotion. My name is Michael Howard, the senior pastor of Seaford Baptist Church. This is a podcast for anyone inside or outside of Seaford Baptist Church that is living that pilgrim life, representing the kingdom of God in the kingdom of man. And it feels good to be back. I was gone last week, had a little bit of a vacation, uh, did not warn you that there wouldn't be an episode. There was not an outcry of injustice, which tells me that our like 15 listeners can go a week without an episode. <laughs> I guess you watch, you listen to other things or our 15 listeners all knew I was on vacation, right? Um, you know, if you do listen to this podcast and for some reason you're not a Seaford Baptist Church member or not connected to us through like Pillar or just like you're my mom or something, uh, well, reach out to us. Like if we just have like some random person who's been listening in Botswana, I want to know about it. You know what I'm saying? Reach out to us, connect at SeafordBaptist.com. Let us know that you are listening. Uh, but it feels good to be back. We had an amazing weekend here at the church, an amazing night of worship on Sunday night. We had five churches uh, come together uh, to worship by Grace Community Church, which is a PCA church that is up the road from us that we love. Uh, Pastor Kevin Haas is the uh, the lead uh, I guess I'm not sure what his title is, teaching elder, teaching pastor, but he's the, the lead guy there and is a wonderful pastor, a wonderful teacher. Uh, and then we had Bethel Baptist Church. We had Reformation Christian Fellowship. We had Bacosan Baptist Church uh, that was there. And of course, we had Seaford Baptist Church. And it was just a sweet, sweet time. The saints of God singing so loud that it shook the walls. I mean, just seeing all of these believers coming together and saying, we don't compete with one another. We cooperate together. We work together for the sake of exalting the Lord, glorifying the Lord. And we look forward to doing more Great Commission work together. Of course, uh, the churches that are in the Pillar Network, uh, which we are hoping to be joining here in the next uh, week or so, we have a vote on that at our September 30th uh, members meeting. Those churches in that pillar network, you know, we want to plant a church together, a, a church for Hispanic people here on the peninsula uh, that is teaching the gospel and uh, that where there's good biblical discipleship happening. Uh, we long for that. And so it's just exciting. It's exciting to not be alone. It's exciting to have other churches that you are doing work with. And a very special thing is happening here on the peninsula as churches are working together, cooperating together, striving together for the gospel. So it's a wonderful thing. But today I want to talk about deconstruction. I'm ready to deconstruct, guys. That's it. That's it. I'm ready. I've held out long enough and I'm ready to deconstruct. Now, I know you saw the title of the podcast and you probably thought, oh no, what's going on? Uh, deconstructionism is this uh, thing that is happening where, uh, at least in evangelical circles, what deconstructionism means is it's people who are saying, I am rejecting the evangelical faith that I grew up in by all of the measures in which I have quantified what a Christian is. I am not a Christian. And then they begin to deconstruct their Christian worldview and to basically cast it aside. And it's being seen as this very noble and virtuous and um, this very uh, kind of beautiful thing for people to do. It's not beautiful at all. Uh, it's awful. It's abhorrent. And the reality is, is if you are deconstructing and you never come back to the church, what you're proving is that when Jesus talks about the four soils in Matthew 13, that you are either the rocky soil or the thorny, the thorny soil. Uh, if you remember, the, the, the soil with rocks receives the, the seed 
uh, initially, right, with joy, and it springs up, but because of the rocks, uh, it doesn't take root, the growth doesn't take root, and then the sun burns it up. And Jesus tells his disciples that this is what happens when people initially show belief in the gospel, not saving faith. They haven't trusted in Christ. If they are saved by Christ, then they are going to persevere unto the end. But they show some sort of initial belief in Christ, some sort of intellectual uh, assent to the fact that uh, Jesus is God and that Christian uh, truth is the truth, and they come around the church, maybe even join a church, maybe even get baptized, all that sort of stuff. But once they start to suffer, once they start to experience persecution for the name of Christ, uh, they abandon it. And then there's the thorny soil where Jesus says the thorny soil where the thorns are choking out the growth. This is the love of the world, the love of sin choking out the growth of, of, of the gospel in someone's heart and uh, choking out the seed of the kingdom, if you will. So uh, it's not true saving faith. It's not a person who's ever truly repented and been saved. The only soil in the soil's parable that represents saving faith would be the fourth soil where actual fruit is produced, right? Uh, to, different, uh, to different degrees, but actual fruit is produced. And if you are deconstructing and you are abandoning the Christian faith with no intention to come back and you don't come back, what you show is that you're the second or the third soil. It's not noble, it's not virtuous, it's dangerous and tragic. And if you're listening to this and you are in the midst of deconstructing because you were on Spotify and somehow you typed in deconstructionism and this came up and you thought, all right, some guy talking about how he's deconstructing now and you pulled it up and you're hearing me talk about this, listen. It's dangerous, dangerous stuff you're playing with. This isn't cool. It's not virtuous. Um, you are not shedding uh, some sort of, you know, these, these religious chains that have bound you all these years. What you are doing is you're rejecting the one true saving gospel of Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation, which has been revealed to us by God in his self-revelation in the Bible, and if you reject the only way of salvation that God has given to us, then you will spend eternity separated from him. You can deconstruct from your belief and you can say he's not real all you want. He is, and you will stand in judgment before him at the end of days. And I don't say that to be like, turn or burn. I'm just telling you the reality. That's the reality that we see in the scriptures and you're playing a dangerous game. So I'm not deconstructing in that way, okay? I'm not deconstructing in that way be encouraged. I am deconstructing though. And what I am deconstructing from and what we all Christians need to uh, deconstruct. I don't know if you deconstruct from something, you just deconstruct. So what we all need to deconstruct and what I'm here to talk about today is secular humanism. Now, if you don't know what secular humanism is, uh, I will pull this belief for you, which I got out of the old Google machine. Belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without faith in God or belief in God. So it, it is an understanding, it is a belief, it is a concept that humanity is capable of being moral, of being good, and being self-fulfilling, getting everything that they need, and they can do all of that apart from God. Now what this is, is the sin of Babylon. When you read Revelation 17 and 18, and it's talking about Babylon, which represents the evil network of humanity in the world, this is the sin of Babylon. Babylon is the great prostitute, and she says, I will have self-sufficiency. 
I will reject the Lord's provision. I will reject the Lord's love. And, and like a prostitute who rejects her husband and says, I will go out there and sell my body and I will be sufficient on my own apart from your love, apart from uh, your care. The world has said to God, I will be self-sufficient and I reject your love. I reject your care. I reject your provision. I reject your way of salvation. I'll get morality and I will get fulfillment apart from you. And the world claims, as Babylon claims in Revelation 18, 7, that there will never be consequences for this. Revelation 18, 7, As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. I'll never pay for it. There will never be a day of judgment. There will never be... Uh, a time in which I have to mourn for the sin that I have committed against God. This is what Babylon says. This is what the world says. But Revelation 18.8 says, For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. When the Lord Jesus returns in his justice, he will bring what we have spent thousands and thousands of years building, as human beings, he will just bring it down to nothing. The whole evil network, all of our schemes, all our all of our uh, little societies we've set up, and our money, and our, our, our economies, all this stuff, he is just going to bring it down to the ground in a heap of ashes in a moment. In a moment. That's the world, right? The world that says we don't need God, we're good without him, and he'll never get us. He'll, he'll, he'll never judge us. That we'll, never, we'll never have to answer for any of this. Um, the, the Lord says in his word, I'll bring it down to nothing in an instant. And so it's that secular humanism. And secular humanism is the air that we breathe. We breathe in air in this country um, in terms of philosophies, in terms of subversive messaging, where we are buying into the lies of secular humanism, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize that our biblical worldview is getting polluted with a godless worldview because it is just so saturated in the culture that we live in. Uh, I am finding that the closer I try to draw to the Lord, the more that I'm in his word, the more I'm in prayer, the more I feel like I'm growing in my faith, the more I'm finding that there are these things I need to deconstruct in me uh, that I had either just accepted at some point without thinking about it. I mean, some of it's stuff that I learned in just grade school years ago, and I'm like, gosh, that's still hanging around, isn't it? You know, my biblical worldview hasn't quite pushed that out of uh, my thought process yet, and so I'm ready to have all this stuff gone, man. I'm just done with it, and I have like, you know, four or five different points here that I want to talk about on this podcast from saying we need to deconstruct from these things. Like it is time for us as Christians to completely let go of these things and to completely let go of just uh, not, not just kind of like big picture concepts, but to let go of the way that those concepts have filtered down into some of our thinking, into some of the details of our lives, the fringes of our lives. So um, we need to reject, first of all, this belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God, right? We start there. But then from there, there are other secular humanist concepts that we need to get rid of. And here's one that I'm going to throw out to you, okay? We need to deconstruct from Darwinistic evolution. 
Darwinistic evolution is a theory, it's not fact, it is a theory which theorizes that all life came from a common ancestor. Descent with modification, causing species to change over time, forming new species. Okay? This is, uh, I have a bumper sticker that hangs in my office that says, I am a normal, educated person, and I believe Darwinism is stupid and evil. And it has a little, <laughs> has a little dinosaur on it. I haven't had, I haven't put it on my car yet. I had it custom made, and it just kind of hangs in my office. Uh, maybe you would have interest in one of these. I don't know. Uh, does anybody want this thing? Maybe I can give it to you and you can put it on your car. But yeah, listen, I do believe that. I do believe it is stupid and evil. I believe there are major, major basic scientific questions that Darwinistic evolution fails to even come close to answering. Like, how do we deal with the fact that a fundamental law of biology is that life comes from life? Life comes from life, right? So at some point, if we're going to talk about the first life, we're going to need to know what life did it come from. And you're going to have to keep backing up until you run into some sort of eternal being who has life in itself, who is then giving life to things that have been created. And of course, we would say it's not itself, it's himself. It is God, and that God has spoken everything that you see into existence, and he did it for his glory, and he did it for his good pleasure. We have no problem as Christians with life comes from life. We don't need to deconstruct when it comes to that. We're as scientific as it gets when it comes to that. We get it, right? The Lord is the source of all life, and all life that we see in creation came from him. It's easy. Fundamental law of biology, solved for us as Christians. The evolutionists are the ones who have a problem right? How about the information of life? Your life does not just consist of physical parts working in unison. It's more than that. The inf there's information needed to run your parts. There's instructions in your DNA. And do you know who doesn't understand how these instructions even work? Scientists. Scientists don't understand it. They don't understand the information of life. They admit this. And so, Evolution, Darwinistic evolution, just simply cannot explain how the information of life would come about when we're dealing with descent with modification, causing species to change over time, forming new species. And that will lead us to irreducible complexity, which is the idea that every complex component of, of, of life... Um, well, it, it refutes the idea that every complex component of life arose step by step. Darwin... He argued that evolution did not happen in these big movements, that it happened in these very small little movements over time. But Darwin was ignorant to what we know of cells, of what we know of DNA. Almost all creatures okay, depend on information flowing from your DNA to your RNA, from your RNA to your proteins. Three different molecules that all need each other. DNA needs RNA and proteins. RNA needs DNA and proteins. Proteins need RNA and DNA. How did these complex systems come about in small step-by-step -step processes and the species in which they were coming about actually had life and were actually functioning and were... Um, not just functioning, but were their bodies were, were functioning in an organized and, and, and clearly ordered way. Like, it does not make sense. And so, Darwinistic evolution is something that as Christians we should completely reject. I'm not saying you have to be a young earth Christian. 
I think there is room for an old earth discussions, certainly. Uh, but you have to reject Darwinistic evolution and you have to believe that there was not human death before the fall of man. And I believe that you have to believe Adam and Eve are the first two literal people. You have to have a literal first Adam or the whole idea of the literal second Adam starts to fall apart in Christ. And so we don't need to be afraid of this. We don't need to go tiptoeing around people that believe in evolution and oh, they're going to kneel me and they're going to find out I'm one of these Christians that rejects the vaunted theory of evolution. No, it's stupid and evil. You should reject it boldly and loudly. Kindly, gently, respectfully, but boldly and loudly. Let's keep going. A second thing that we need to deconstruct. We all come from mud without design. Okay, we started there. But you know what this leads to? In terms of sexuality, gender is a construct made up by society and not given by God. Because, hey, listen, going back to where we started, if humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without belief in God, well, then we absolutely are going to reject this idea that there is some God creator who has said, male and female, I have made them. And they're going to stay male and female because that's my design. If they're going to honor me with their bodies in the way that I designed them to honor me with their bodies, of course humanity is rejecting that and saying, no, 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 we don't need God. We will find self-fulfillment without God and we will decide for ourselves if we are going to be male and female. We are the ones who will play creator. And so they reject Genesis 1, 27 and 28 about um, the image of God as well as uh, they reject the whole idea of male and female being God's design and that, uh, that gender is not a construct, but that is a gift given by God in his design. And so cisgender this and non-binary that, we need to deconstruct from that mess. We need to not use that language. Those words represent lies made up by men of dirt, and we need to be done with it. God is self-revelatory. He has spoken, male and female, he has created them. And so this whole idea, gender's a construct, you can't give an inch on this stuff. I was listening to Rosaria Butterfield talk on the uh, Christianity and Liberalism podcast, which I highly recommend to you, okay? Uh, I may have recommended that before on, on a different podcast that I did a couple of weeks ago, but I'll recommend it again. Uh, it's put out by Westminster. You can go look it up on Spotify. They are taking Jay Gresham Machen's book, which is 100 years old, Christianity and Liberalism, and they, and, and, and listen, Machen says there's no such thing as a liberal Christian. And we're not talking about political um, liberalism and progressivism. We're talking about uh, theological liberalism. More than one way to God. God's word is not authoritative. It's not without error. It's not infallible. Um, you know, evolution's compatible with the Bible, all that sort of junk, right? Machen said there is no such thing as a liberal Christian because if you're believing that stuff, you have rejected the Bible and you have rejected God's self-revelation and you have put yourself outside of fellowship with him and you need to repent. That's what Machen says unapologetically. And the stuff he says in this book 100 years ago, you would think he wrote it yesterday. You really would think that he wrote it yesterday. So I was listening to Rosaria Butterfield on that podcast and she was like we she used to be living an lgbtq lifestyle she was living a lesbian lifestyle uh she has repented of that and she is now living a, a faithful uh a faithful life before the lord and she is a great spokesperson on these things and she said you cannot give an inch with this stuff 
not an inch. You do not use these terms of cisgender. You do not use a term like non-binary. You reject this mess because it's made up by men of dirt. Leads us to the next thing we need to deconstruct. Man, after I say this, you guys are going to be like, wow, he's really going for it today. I am. I had, a, I had a good vacation. Here we go. I actually didn't. I worked the whole time. I was thinking about this stuff and other things the whole time. So I am, I am ready to talk about this. I say this not in hate. I say this in love. I'm going to try to use a tone that is very calm as I say it because I don't want anybody to, to read into my tone a, a vitriol. But LGBTQ lifestyles are behaviors and they are not identities. They are behaviors and they are not identities. We have three major New Testament passages which speaks to homosexuality. Romans 1, 24-32, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, and 10, 1 Timothy 1, 8-10. Three major passages. None of them talk about homosexuality as an identity. It talks about homosexuality as a behavior that is practiced. And the world knows this is true, whether they want to admit it or not. In 2019, there was a study from science.org. It was a huge study, big widespread study published by PBS. I'm re- I read this from the, the uh, PBS website. So it's not like I'm, I'm reading this from, you know, some Christian website or some fringe website. PBS published uh, the study. They did a story about the study from science.org. And what they concluded is there is no gay gene. There are genetic influences towards certain sexual behaviors, sure. But there is no gay gene. And the study said that sociocultural influences play a large role into sexual behaviors. As Christians, we're like, yeah, we knew this. We knew all of this. And so we have to reject this idea that LGBTQ lifestyles are identities. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is really big. It's really big because if I'm talking to someone who is a homosexual or a lesbian or bisexual or transgender or any of the other letters or any of the other colors represented on the flag, and I say to them, you need to repent of your sin, they are not going to view their LGBTQ lifestyle as sin Because when I say repent of sin, they're going to think I need to repent of behavior, right? I need to repent of transgressions. They're not going to view what they're doing as a transgression. They're going to view it as their identity. And many will even view it as the way that God made them. And that is why we are seeing progressive churches, progressive theologians like Brandon Robertson, who's gained so much popularity online. You can watch James White and Jeff Durbin debate him. Not a fun hour for Brandon Robinson. Uh, Brett Brandon Robertson's his name. Sorry, I mispronounced it. Uh, not a fun hour for him. If you go and watch it, um, he's debating with two men who know their Bibles very well, and he is trying to make a ludicrous argument from the Scriptures that the Bible does not speak to monogamous homosexual relationships because he believes, again, that the Bible is... Um, now, when the Bible talks about homosexuality, it's, it's just talking about, like, um, men raping men. Uh, it's just talking about um, the sort, like like abusive homosexual relationships. 
uh, the sort of relationships that are happening in Canaanite culture, things like that, and that the New Testament is only referring to that. And he tries to make this whole argument, but he's talking to two men who are reading from Greek. And so it doesn't go well for him. You can watch that debate. Um, not to go and be, oh, I'm going to watch this guy get destroyed, but to understand the apologetic to use when talking to somebody who is trying to push this ridiculous notion that the Bible does not speak to what we are seeing out in the culture today in homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, transgender lifestyles. There are pride churches, uh, like the church, the Table Church in D.C. I'm on their website here. Welcome to the Table Church, a church centered on Jesus, justice, and inclusion. Sundays at 5 p.m. downtown and online. It's because of our beliefs that we work to be a place of radical welcome and inclusion. So listen, this is what they have. It's, it's, it's tough to listen to this. Listen, listen to what they say. At the Table Church, we believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection reveals what God is truly like. And we believe, we believe that the Scripture, interpreted through the person of Jesus, is authoritative for our lives. We believe that the following the way of, of Jesus is worth inviting others to give their lives to. It's because of those beliefs that we work to be a place of radical welcome and inclusion. A more beautiful understanding of the gospel should be explicitly anti-racist, should support leadership by all genders, should affirm LGBTQ plus people, and should work to do God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We are doubling down on the person and the way of Jesus. Mm. We are doubling down on the person and the way of Jesus. This is not just... I have friends in my life who say, I reject Christianity, I reject the Bible, I'm going to live the way I want to live. That's one thing. But to say, we're going to live the way that we want to live, and we're going to justify it by saying the person of Jesus Christ signs off on all this. We interpret the scriptures through him, and the person of Jesus Christ is fine with everything that we are doing. He loves it. We're doubling down on Jesus. This is blasphemy. This is blasphemous. I wouldn't come, man, I wouldn't come five miles from that church Sundays at 5 p.m. downtown and online. I wouldn't. I mean, those are people who are shaking their fists at the living God and saying, what are you going to do about it? And they're doing it all under the guise of religion, making people twofold children of hell by the time they come through that ministry. Mm. It is... It is horrifying to go on these websites of these progressive churches and and read this stuff, right? So that's out there. So when when you are talking to somebody about the gospel, they're going to look at you and say, no, this church is to say the way I live is fine. It's my identity and it's the way that God made me. And what we have to be able to look at them and say is it is not. You are made in the image of God, male and female. He created them. God's good design is for male and female, to leave their father and mother, cling to one another, and that we express our sexuality in a pure and God-glorifying way within the context of that covenant marriage. This is God's design. We have to tell them this. We cannot give in to the culture and relent and, 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 and take our foot off the pedal when it comes to teaching and preaching God's design because the second we do that, We are giving people the idea that, indeed, this is how God made you. It's fine. The way you're living is fine. It's no big deal. You're going to be fine with God in the end. When we know 
The book of Revelation says in Revelation 18.8, he's going to bring the whole evil network of humanity, including evil sexuality and sexual perversion. It's all going to be brought down in an instant. And so it is important for us to call people to repent of behaviors and to say, this is not your identity. This is not how God made you. You must repent of your behavior. And Christian, we got to stop looking at people and saying, well, they're just so gay. You hear people say that, right? It comes out of people's mouths. They'll say, oh man, he's just so gay. She's just so gay. What you're showing is that you need to deconstruct from secular humanism. What you're saying is, ah, that's just who they are. It's not. It is a behavior that they are participating in that must be repented of. And we have to deconstruct from any notion otherwise. Let's keep going. Last one. Manhood is evil. Manhood is evil. We've heard enough of it. We have heard enough of this culture talking about how awful men are, how men need to take a back seat. It's time for women to lead. Um, We've had enough of feminism leading the way in the culture. I reject feminism just as I reject toxic masculinity. God has created male and female. They are equal with different roles. They are equal with differences in their bodies. They are equal and we're different in the way that he made us, designed us. We don't need to act like women are the same as men. And we certainly don't need to act like men are the same as women. And we have got to get back to a biblical understanding of gender and a biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood. Manhood is beautiful. The evil men narrative has created a vacuum of people talking about Judeo-Christian manhood and pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of what a man should be. And anytime you start bringing up Judeo-Christian manhood and you start talking about manhood as expressed by the Lord Jesus Christ, people will look at you, even within the church, and say, patriarchy. And so now what's happened is in the vacuum of Judeo-Christian teaching on manhood, young men have turned to social media influencers for their education on what manhood is, to people like Andrew Tate, who are teaching the culture, hey, young men, you want to be a man biblically? Your life needs to look like Solomon. As much money as you can get, as much Uh, as many women as you can get, as much leisure and pleasure as you can get. This is how we're going to define manhood. And then what's so confusing is he'll say other things about manhood that sound biblical. And so a young man in the church who's on TikTok hears those few things that sound biblical, and then right alongside of it hears that um, if you want a woman to love you, you better put her in her place. And they go, "Mm, that's manhood. That's real toxic masculinity. In calling just regular Judeo-Christian manhood toxic, you push it into the peripheral uh, periphery of society. Is that peripheral? Periphery? You know what I'm saying. You push it into the margins of society, and what stepped into the vacuum is actual toxic masculinity. Congratulations. And now who has to come and tell the actual toxic masculinity, no, that's not what manhood is? The church. The church has to come and remind Andrew Tate and his followers, hey, Solomon looked at all that stuff and said, vanity, a chasing after the wind. 
So manhood is beautiful. It's beautiful. And we need to stop teaching that it's not, and we need to start modeling biblical manhood. And I think that if we do that, we will find effeminate manhood and actual toxic manhood to get pushed to the margins, and that what will be in its place is a, a in the church at least, a biblical teaching of what a man should be, and then young men can follow that. As older men model their lives after Jesus, they say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, and young men can follow that. And young women can know what they should be looking for in a husband to lead them. Not Andrew Tate. Not Andrew Tate. And not a feminized version of manhood that uh, the culture is okay with swallowing because it's been domesticated and tamed and neutered. No, we're talking about real biblical manhood. And the church has got to model it. As we close up, it's so easy to get swept up in the language and the attitude of the culture. I'm not angry about these things. I'm passionate about us rejecting the world and being renewed daily by God's word. If we're going to stand, then we must stand firmly and lovingly on the word of God. And we must speak on these issues with the word, from the word. And we must do it with authority. We have biblical authority. The authority is not in us, right? Like, as, as I go to someone and I say, repent, right? Um, the authority that I speak with comes from the spirit who dwells in me. And it comes from the word that I am teaching and preaching. And we don't, we, need, we, we don't need to go out into the world afraid, scared to death of this worldly wisdom. Oh, I can't talk to people. You know, I can, these, these evolutionists, they'll, they'll get me. These LGTP, LGBT. BTQ people, I can't even talk right now, but L, I, I'm, I'm LGBTQ. I said it the right way. All right. Isn't, there's like an AI plus added now, and you can't keep up. I'm not joking. You can't keep up. There's, there's multiple flags going around. You can't keep up. We don't need to be afraid of this stuff. We need to deconstruct from its mindset. We need to be renewed in our mind by the word of God every day, through meditating on the word, filling our minds with the word, going to the Lord in prayer, having our hearts changed by um, being in prayer and, and having uh, the word applied to our lives and, and preaching and church, like all of these things, right? Uh, we need to be renewed in our mind because of our commitment to the word of God, rejecting the world and not getting swept up in the language and the attitude of culture. God's revelation of himself is our authority, and we must stand on it, and we must speak from it, and we can't back down. And again, I don't want you to hear this as I close up as, yep, gotta go out there and get them liberals. Nope. Because there are plenty of people who are going to vote red this November who are swimming happily drinking in as much secular humanism as possible every single day, including the candidates that are going to get on a stage and debate tonight. I'm reading this, or I'm uh, reading this, I'm uh, doing this podcast on August 23rd, 2023. It's going to come out later this afternoon. There's a Republican debate tonight, and there are candidates who will stand on that stage who drink in and represent secular humanism. Saying about Republican and Democrat, we had a Republican congressman stand up at a or congresswoman stand up at a prayer breakfast and joke about having sex with her fiance at a prayer breakfast, having having abominable sex 
right? It's an abomination before God, sex outside of marriage. Abominable sex. She stood up and joked about it at a prayer, prayer breakfast. I don't want to hear about the party immorality. Okay? This isn't about Republican. It's not about Democrat. It is about us rejecting the world as the church and saying we believe what the word says. We stand on it unapologetically. We speak it in gentleness and kindness. This is who we are. We're Bible people. And we will not be duped by this silly idea that we can write God out of the equation and find self-fulfillment, morality, and everything we need in ourselves. Absolutely not. And when people come to us with that, we answer them with the authoritative word, his self-revelation. Don't need to be afraid. Be courageous. Stand firm. Be courageous. The Lord your God is with you. That's it for today. How is your soul doing, Christian? How is your soul doing? I hope that you are doing well. How is God's grace at work in your life? How would you like to see his grace at work in your life? If you think about these questions and you feel like you need to talk to a pastor, reach out to us. Connect at SeafordBaptist.com. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, keep living that pilgrim life representing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man.